Welcome to the Awakening Church Podcast. We pray this message encourages you and provides the hope and light of Jesus Christ. Thanks for tuning in. We've been jumping into a series today. We conclude it uh, of a sermon series uh, that you've entitled Just Us, Just Us. Uh, this quote from Dr. Ephraim Smith says, when Jesus returns, there will be ultimate justice. But until then, it's just us. Isn't that good? Come on. Until Jesus returns, there will be ultimate justice, right? You and I uh, uh, are the hands and feet of Jesus, but when he returns, he's going to wipe this, uh, put everything uh, that was wrong right and make all the wrongs in the world right, including the creation, including the crown of his creation. But until then, y'all, it's just us. And we get the honor and privilege to be a part of the reconciliation and restoration of the gospel and reconciling heaven to earth here. And uh, that was uh, launched with us courtesy of Micah 6.8. The scripture says, O mortal man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. And today, as we conclude this series, uh, I want to hover around uh, this last part of that verse, that is, walk humbly with your God. Walk humbly with your God. Would you look at your neighbor, and would you tell him this? There's power in confession. Come on, there's power in confession. Not for the people in the back. Come on, there's power in confession. Uh, as I've been listening to this series, uh, if you've been tracking with us the past couple weeks, uh, this uh, quote that's been so clear and a thread throughout the whole series that pastors share with us, that is this idea of God's will for our life is clear, right? Uh, in fact, we dream about the 1% that we're unknown about, but the 99% of what God's told us to do, he's commanded us to do, found in scripture, it's clear but oftentimes, what do we do? We complicate it so that we don't have to obey it. And today, I believe God's calling us not just to act justly and to love mercy, but to, listen, walk humbly with our God. And so how do we do that in a way that's appropriate, life-giving, refreshing, as we part of this reconciliation and bringing justice to the world, the reconciliation that God has planned in store for all of us? Um, uh, the word there in Micah 6, 8 that says humbly in the Hebrew, I'm not even going to dare try and pronounce it, okay? Uh, I'm not that brave. I'm not going to insult my Jewish brothers and sisters. Uh, but the word uh, in the Hebrew uh, has this idea of this meaning, making a humble walk or to showing a humble walk with God. Walking humbly to making, it has this idea of it's, it's a do-it-yourself kind of a project. Do you know what I mean? Like walking humbly, showing humility, walking with God. And can we all just be honest before we jump into this? Like practicing humility, it's easier said than done. Am I right? Right? Practicing humility, walking humbly, it's easier said than done. Uh, in fact, you know, um, I remember, uh, I actually have a picture of, of my wife. 
Uh, I believe it's on the screen for you. Um, she's, she's, you, can, you might can't see it, but she, y'all, she's beautiful, okay? Um, she, also, she also leads worship at Storyline, so when she walks off the stage, I have to, like, keep my composure. Do you know what I mean? I, I got to be a good steward, right? And so she, she, she walks off the stage. She, she's just gorgeous. I, I love her. She is my, my partner and, in ministry and life, and I get to do this with her, and I'm so grateful for her. Um, but uh, she brings joy to my life. Now, now there's a, another component, though, in that picture you don't see to fully get a comprehension of our family, and it's my five-year-old, right? Uh, his name's <clears throat> He's on the screen, I believe, right? Uh, <laughs> I was waiting for that. It was a delay there. I was like, <laughs> his, Chad, his name's Chad. He's just, he's, he's, he's handsome, isn't he? Like, German Shepherd Lab. He's about 88 pounds, uh, just tall, dark, and handsome. Come on, somebody, right? <laughs> he's, he's a total frat, I'm telling you. Uh, um, why Chad? I mean, like, I, I, you'll never experience the joy. For those of you who have dog and you don't, you don't give him a human name, you won't experience the joy that I experienced. Do you know what I mean? Like, like having to take him to the dog park and then yelling out, Chad, come here, boy. And you look over and there's this dog galloping towards you. Like, you won't experience that joy. And, uh, man, I just love my family. And, and I remember when Jamie and I were dating, I was flying from Pensacola, Florida, when I was getting my master's to come see her in the Bay Area. And uh, travel can come with this fair share of surprises. Do you know what I mean? And I remember getting on that plane from Pensacola uh, to the Bay Area, and I experienced just difficulty. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like getting on the plane and expecting to get a good seat, praying and hoping, but knowing that, like, for me at least, I check in because I'm a procrastinator by, by nature, and I check in, and I'm the last person to board the plane. Do you know what I mean? Anybody else with me out there, right? No, okay, uh, maybe a try over this side. Anybody else with me? Right, I see, I see. Okay, so I get on the plane, and I'm sitting, I get to my seat, and all the seats are for, sh- fails, it doesn't, it, every time, all the seats are just packed, making my way to the back, hoping that there's an extra seat, right? Hoping there's a seat somewhere that's not in purgatory. Do you know what I mean? And so I get there, and sure enough, like, some of you, you don't know this, but there is a seat on the, like, what, the be, where's the best seat on the plane? Best seat on the plane, where is it at? It's the aisle. Come on, it's a smart man, okay? It's the aisle seat because it's easy access, okay? And then the second best seat is the window seat, right? Uh, because if you want to leave the two people that are doing whatever they're doing, you can kind of turn towards them, your back, and you can just find a fall asleep, look out the window. There's great views, right? That's the second best seat. The third, the worst seat on the plane, okay? Some of you walked in here, you grew up in Catholic. Let me explain to you, right? Purgatory is the, the middle seat. It's the, you're stuck. You're not sure if you're like, it's the worst seat on the plane. And sure enough, like the worst seat on the plane I got sitting in middle section, and man, I did not want to do it, and of course, I'm a student at this time, and so I want to work on my projects, but, you know, I, I have to put stuff, my stuff in, in a bag, and, and I, I, I started to work on it, and then the, the flight attendant came by, and she said, hey, uh, sir, I need you to put your stuff, we're about to get ready to take off, I need you to put your, your bag underneath the chair. I was like, okay, fine. I closed my laptop, I put it underneath, and she's like, well, it's too big. I need you to go put it in an overhead bin. I'm like, okay, great. Now I got to get up, right, with this guy that's coughing the entire time on the plane, 
right? And I got to go over him. And sure enough, I open the bin and it's full. And so I got to walk up and down this plane trying to find an overhead bin, right? And I stuff my, my, my stuff in the, an overhead bin. I come all the way back to my seating and squeeze through again. And I'm sitting down and I'm just like, and so, you know, I'm just going to ignore this. I'm going to go to sleep. Do you know what I mean? I try to recline my seat just a little bit. And as I recline it, she comes by again. She's like, hey, sir, sir, sir. And if she was polite, do you know what I mean? If she was nice about it, it'd be easy to respond. But, but she's a little bit rude. And I'm like, inside of me, the temperature is rising. And I'm like, okay, okay. What I wanted to say, what I wanted to say was like, okay, do you going to put my seat... Okay, how's that working out? Is that, is that better? Like, it doesn't make a difference. You know what I mean? Like, oh, okay, is that going to make a difference? Like, <laughs> what is that going to do? That's what I wanted to say. But you know what? In my humility, like, I remember I'm training for the ministry here. I'm going to be kind and polite, and I'm going to humble myself, and I'm going to acquiesce. You know, it, it's a lot easier said than being done, right? This idea of showing and walking in humility. The Proverbs says, when arrogance comes, disgrace follows, right? But with humility comes wisdom, right? It, it's in my favor for me to acquiesce. It's in my favor for me to be humble, right? Aren't you proud of me, right? I didn't get arrested, y'all. Like... <laughs> Ended up on somebody's TikTok, right? <laughs> but humility comes with wisdom. And uh, this idea of walking humbly with our God, I believe, uh, will help us follow in the things we've been learning in the past couple weeks of act justly, love mercy and compassion, and then how do we live that out? We walk humbly with our God. And in this story uh, that I believe is going to help articulate this idea of walk humbly, we're going to find in Luke chapter 18, in verse number 9 through 14. In this story that Jesus tells us, it's a story of this Pharisee and a tax collector, and they go up in the temple to pray. And the Pharisee, thank God that he's not like this sinner, while the tax collector, in humility and his shame, doesn't look his eyes toward heaven, but in all grace and humility, leaves that temple justified before God because of his humility. And number one, we're going to see the importance of it. The import, would you look at your neighbor and say, the importance of humility. Verse number nine says this. He also told this parable to, to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. He said this. Jesus telling the story. Two men went up to, to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this man here, this tax collector. Then he says, I fast twice a week. 
and I give a tenth of everything I get. Now, Sometimes we look at this, you know, Pharisee and we uh, 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 kind of despise the Pharisees because, you know, we have a love for Jesus. And every time Jesus has an encounter with the Pharisees, it's never good. You know what I mean? And so we despise them by nature. Now, uh, I don't want to take that away from them. We should despise the Pharisees. But in this particular story, he says, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of everything I get. Like, that's that's pretty impressive. Do you know what I mean? Like, Y'all, I'm a church planner, so like if there's someone that walks into our church and they're like, hey, uh, I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of all that I have, I'm like, that's great. How can we duplicate you? Like, how can we copy and paste? Like, come on, like put you up on stage. This guy's fasting twice a week. He's giving a tenth. Look, y'all, it's a struggle up in Oakland, right? This is awesome. Like, this guy's great. See, but this is the... uh, the temptation, right? The pride is the temptation that comes with obedience, right? We can, as we read the scriptures, you can kind of just smell off the pages, this pompous uh, spirit and haughty, smug, holier than thou spirit on this Pharisee. And we see here in scripture, but it's, it's a temptation that comes with obedience. And here's what I believe. This past two weeks, we've been talking about acting justly and loving mercy and being compassionate to one another. I believe that this church is a church, a community of people that will walk it out, that will be a, 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 the just and the hands and feet of Jesus in their community, right? I believe this is the kind of church that will walk it out, that will be compassionate, that will be loving. But listen, like the Pharisee, we too can come with a pride that comes from obedience. So let's be careful that we, too, do not become an accidental Pharisee. You see, this Pharisee mistakenly missed the mark, didn't he? Right? He missed the mark thinking, watch this, that his relationship with God consisted only of his vertical. Right? He mistakenly missed the mark thinking that I'm right with God only because of what I do vertically, right? I'm fasting twice a week. That's between me and God, right? I'm giving a tenth of what I have. That's between me and God. And so he he mistakenly missed the mark thinking that my relationship with God only consisted of the vertical and he neglected the horizontal. Sometimes, come on, we all struggle with unloving generalizations that allow us to elevate ourselves above other people. And this is what he's guilty of. His relationship with God was only vertical. It was, what's going on between me and God? But it's clearly in Scripture, as Philippians 2 tells us, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more, what does that say? significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. You see, his relationship with God was not only consisted of the vertical, it was consisted also of the horizontal, of the people that was around him. See, the measuring stick for our relationship with God is also not just vertical, but it's horizontal. 
I wrote it like this. The scope of our relationship with God is not just limited to our submission to him, but to our submission to one another. It's really easy for you to listen to this sermon that's between you and God and leave this tent and leave this comfy place and think that you're right with God and treat your brothers and sisters poorly. And think, oh, I have a good relationship with Jesus. When Jesus clearly commands us in Scripture and his uh, followers clearly commands us in Scripture that your relationship with God isn't just what you do vertically. Isn't just personal. No, no, no. It's horizontal. It's how you treat and love the you beside you. In fact, this is what Micah is trying to communicate, right? This is why God told Micah to open up his mouth. Because the children of Israel, this is what they were doing. Is it not? If you read Micah and, and, and the history and the context, the children of Israel, what were they doing? They were burning incense to God. They were worshiping God. They were going to the temple. They were showing up weekend after weekend and lighting incense and the sweet smells going up to God. And they were giving a tenth of what, in fact, 23% of what they had. 10%, y'all. 23%, that's a lot. Come on, right? They're worshiping God. But Micah says, what you're doing is, it's not suffice. Because your brothers and sisters are being oppressed. And in fact, to God, you're not right with him. Over here, personally, it looks good. But here, horizontally, you see, our relationship with God is not just measured with him. It's measured person to person. He says, you cannot worship me and neglect the oppressed. They're not mutually exclusive. So he says, Paul tells us, lead each of you. Look not to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your relationship, my relationship with God is measured not just in the vertical, but it's measured from person to person to person. God calls us to do this in our everyday story. He calls us to do this in our workplace. He calls us to do this with your spouse. He calls us to do this with your girlfriend or your boyfriend. He calls us to do this in our everyday life. To measure it, not just in the vertical, but measure it in the horizontal. For what? That's the cross of Jesus Christ that he came to recognize reconcile you with God, but also came to reconcile you with man. This is the importance of it. But, but really, what is humility? Well, we can start with the example found in the tax collector. What really is it? In verse number 13, it says, but the tax collector, standing far off, will not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest, saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Would you say that aloud with me, that last part of the verse? God, have mercy on me, a sinner. What really is humility? You ever been to uh, the Grand Canyon? It's beautiful. 
I'm from Las Vegas originally. And uh, every now and then we'll go up to close, right? So we'll go for a day trip with my friends or with the guys, and we'll just go, you know, stupidly try to hike the Grand Canyon. (laughs) And I'm telling you, like, when you stand there and you just, like, think about it. Like, we don't. Like, you, like, even here, you can walk out of this place, and there's no other place that we'll go to and look at a hole in the ground. Do you know what I mean? That's what it is. It's a hole in the ground. Like, and when you go to the Grand Canyon, you stand there, and you kind of take a step back and look at the, the majesty and the, 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 uh, the, the greatness of these rocks and this, it's, it's not just ordinary hole in the ground. It, for some reason, you take a step back and you feel small. But here's the thing. In that moment of feeling small, of feeling insignificant, it's a feeling of I'm kind of happy about it. I'm kind of grateful that I'm, I get to observe this beauty, this magnificence. I get to observe. And in this moment, you feel small, but it's a good small. It's like, I'm happy that I'm not the center of the universe. And I'm grateful for it. That's humility. And humility can only be matched when you see the majesty of God. When you see the majesty of Jesus, right? When we see the greatness of who he is. In in that moment, we feel small. We feel insignificant. But not just because we feel small. It's a good small. It's like, man, I am not the center of the universe. There's someone else who is bigger. There's someone else in this moment. I feel small and I'm thankful for it. And that's this tax collector. He's like striking, he's striking his chest like, wow, I'm so unworthy to lift my eyes to heaven. I'm so unworthy to let my lips bring praise to God. I'm so unworthy of this moment that I need to stand afar off. In the Old Testament, we see this all the time of the Old Testament followers of Jesus. They stand afar off. Because it's this idea of majesty, of greatness, and they can't observe it. It's too great. Elijah, Moses, standing afar off, watching God as he passes by. It's, I'm small in this moment, and they have a humble understanding of who they are in the lights of God. It's been said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less which is, by the way, a sharp contrast to the Pharisee, right? It is entirely possible for us to address uh, your words to God, but actually be praying to yourself, right? Because your focus is on yourself, not on God. Your passion is your own agenda, right? Uh, not God's. Your attitude is, not, is, is my will be done, not, not, not your will be done, right? The man was full of praise. The Pharisee was full of praise, but he rejoiced not for who God was, but rather for who he was. It's a stark contrast of humility, He saw himself as the center versus God. C.S. Lewis, I love what he says. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. 
And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. And the Pharisee, standing low, looking up and seeing the greatness of God, it says, man, me, I'm just a poor man. He cried, as the psalmist tells us, Lord, and he heard my prayers and he saved me. Why? Because of his posture in his heart of humility. He was showing us as a perfect description of what it could look like as an example of how to walk with God. That's what humility is. So we're seeing the importance of it and what it really is, but so how do we, as Michael tells us, walk it out? How do we walk humbly? So lastly, the power to do it. The power to do it. Uh, Verse number 14, it says, I tell you, this one went down to his house, Jesus says, talking about the Pharisee, justified rather than the other. Because everyone who exalts himself, what does that say? will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, the word uh, Micah uh, uses for us about God is this word uh, Elohim. It's a, it's a construct of Elohim. It's the idea of he is powerful, right? He is almighty. He is great. He is a powerful God. And listen, the power to walk humbly comes from a greater discovery of of the life of Jesus. We understand the importance of of humility, and we've seen kind of uh, what it really is. It's a a small view of who we are in light of a great view of who God is. But if we're going to walk it out, and, and the power to do it doesn't come from what we can muster up or conjure up, but it comes really, as Jesus is going to walk for us right now, it comes from this idea of understanding there's a greater discovery of a life found in Jesus. When we humble ourselves, and see that God is really the one that's great, that's really bigger, then we can see how small we are. And the more we discover about Jesus, about God, we're now equipped to walk humbly with him. And in Matthew 26, uh, Jesus going a little farther, just before the last days up until his crucifixion. He fell face down and prayed, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus in all of humility expresses his emotions, expresses what he's feeling in the moment. He says, God, if if there's another option, God, would you let this cup pass from me? But what does he say? He says, Lord, it's not my will, but yours be done. And this confession, should, should, our confession should be like that of Jesus. Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Right? Humility means nothing for God in his essence. I love what this church father said. To whom God the Almighty ever subject himself. 
Yet by the incarnation, God the Son has assumed a human nature to himself. And through this nature, Christ can live a humble life. Thus, our Lord leaves us a striking model for humility. Think about that. God, who is all-powerful, Elohim, who is omnipotent, who is the mighty one, to what can he subject himself? He did it in a sense to become like one of us, to become human. He subject himself, as Philippians tells us, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, not even uh, to the death of the cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him a name that is above every other name. Jesus humbled himself, subject himself towards humility. To reconcile the human race with God but to reconcile the human race with one another. This is the power of confession. The power of a humble confession. Jesus reconciling us to himself by first making himself a base and becoming like that of a man so that he could stretch his arms out on the cross to die for your sin and to die for, for, for mine. And in doing so, he reconciled all of humanity with one another. And therefore, we get the power to walk it out through the life and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Come on. This is how we get the power to do it. is a greater discovery of the life and resurrection of Jesus. It's not by your might. It's not by my power, but by his spirit. Uh, have you heard of um, the emperor's new clothes? The emperor's new clothes. Uh, it's this uh, story really about this man. And um, uh, some swindlers came to the emperor's capital city. And uh, they showed up, uh, essentially told him, hey, if you uh, wear these clothes that I'm going to fashion and make for you, uh, then everyone else, uh, I promise you, these clothes that I make for you, uh, and anybody who sees doesn't clothes and just sees you as naked, they're inept or stupid. And the emperor says to, to him, well, I mean, of, of, of course, yeah, f f quickly fashion the, fashion the new clothes and uh, quickly and, and, you know, here, take this room and gather some looms and, and fashion the clothes for me. And sure enough, I'll, and what happened as they fashioned these clothes, these swindlers, uh, uh, the emperor uh, uh, poked his head in to see the clothes and remembering what the swindlers told him, if anyone looks upon the clothes and they see nothing, they're inept and, and, and stupid. And so the emperor pokes his head uh, in this room as they're fashioning these clothes. And, and he remembers these words and he looks at this garment. And afraid of being inept or incompetent or stupid, 
he looks at the swindlers and says, oh, yeah, they're, they're, those are great. I cannot wait to wear them. <laughs> and he sends some other men in and them two walk in and remembering the words of the emperor told to him by the swindlers. They said, oh, man, those are some uh, great threads. Yeah, the emperor will look great in these. And so they throw a big parade and for, for the emperor to make this procession before all the town folk. And as he puts on these new threads, he walks out and, uh, you know, they're carrying his garments. Really nothing is there. And he's parading with people on both sides of him and a parade of horses and chariots in front and behind. And as he parades through the town in this procession, the town folks stand by and they too, remembering the words of the swindler and the emperor, and they're applauding and praising the emperor. Oh, wow, those threads are amazing. And then one little boy pokes his head out from the crowd and he looks at them and he looks at the emperor and he says, the emperor is naked. And the emperor and the whole town realizes that they've been duped by this town of swindlers. And they look down and the emperor looks down at his clothes. And guess what he does? He just carries along with his head held high, parading through the streets, denying the fact that he is in his chonies, y'all. Arrogance follows disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. And it behooves all of us to take stock of what God is commanding us to do. It's clear. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. You see, this strangely good news of the parable that is the role of the tax collector is available to all of us through the power and humble confession found in the life and resurrection of Jesus. See, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the hupatasa, to the humble. Can I pray for you this morning? Because the temptation that comes in walking in obedience is to puff up our chests as we act justly and love mercy and to become prideful. But as we walk out this command clear in for us in Scripture to be humble with our God. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we're so grateful, one, for the example in this tax collector that comes courtesy of this parable. But, Lord, we're so overwhelmed and in awe, honestly, of the power of where we get to do it. And it's found in the life and resurrection of your son. And so help us today and throughout our week as we wake up on Monday morning, 
to put on humility and to walk humbly with our God. For Lord, you've commanded us in scripture to do just that. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters and for myself, God, as we go about our week, as we report to our direct reports, as we report to our boss, as we report to those that we love, God, we would walk in humility for there is power in a humble confession, knowing, God, that we are not the center of the universe, but ultimately, God, you have put yourself in that spot and let us be in awe of that. For through that recognition, we can walk humbly with you. And ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were blessed by this message. Please subscribe to our podcast for access to every episode as they're uploaded. And hey, we'd love to connect with you. Take a next step by filling out our virtual connection card at awakeningchurch.com slash card.